0: Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds comic podcast, episode 64. I'm Ryan, and I'm joined by some other nerds, Carissa. Hi. And Matt. Hi. Welcome back. Thank you together we take on this week's comics each week we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them this is a review show so there will be spoilers if you don't want to hear spoilers take a break now and go read your week's books then come on back each week one of us picks their favorite book and that's our pick of the week this week i am that nerd this week the pick of the week goes to batman number 18 our companion song is mother by danzig because this issue compares bane and batman a lot and they talk about mothers but it doesn't suck it's not martha it's much better than that so let's take a listen
1: Tell your children not to walk my way. Martha! <laughs> uh, hear what I say, mother.
0: Okay, anyway. Oh, Oh, nerds. All right. So, <laughs> Batman number 18 by DC Comics. I am Bane part three, written by Tom King. Pencils by David Finch. Inks by Danny Mika. Colors by Jordi Belair. So I'm not going to go right into the plot on this one. I want to talk about why this one to me is so amazing. It has the art and the writing are both spectacular in this one. So the writing, Tom King does this often. There's an actual physical things that are happening, which is, you know, Bane and Batman fighting each other, which in a normal comic would probably take two or three pages of what's actually happening in the time. But he uses these flashbacks where it's comparing Bruce Wayne and Bane as children and taking you through their lives and the similarities between them, that you see each of them being built into the man they're going to become and that kind of iron will that they both have and how they're forged in different ways. And it's brilliant the way it's done. I really, really enjoy that. And Tom King does that a lot in his books and he does it really well here as well. And then the art by David Finch is just spectacular like he can both draw those children being small and vulnerable when they've lost their mother and then he can also draw Bane and Batman just looking totally badass and throwing each other through walls and punching each other in the face so I think the art and the writing here are working together perfectly I really could not be more happy with this issue personally what do you guys think
1: of it? I love the side-by-side comparison because, yeah, sometimes the fighting can get really old. You know, you've seen a lot of fights. The parts when they did show them fighting, I feel like had more impact as you're reading the narrative that is their side-by-side. Yeah, I agree.
2: I I did like the side-by-side comparison. A lot of people like to put Batman and the Joker as the duality, but Bane has always been kind of built up to be more of an anti-Batman. And I think this issue really kind of covered that whole concept of this is the way Batman could have gone horribly, horribly wrong. It circumstances were the other way. They've done it with other characters, but Bane is... He's like this quiet... I mean, Batman's got a few what I'd call arch enemies. He's got Ra's Ghoul For some perspectives, he's got the Joker. But Bane is like that serious, scary Batman. He's the flip side of that. And this book was just... It was like perfect there, and the art was just... It made me think of playing the Arkham games. Just because of how gritty and, like, oh, I'd say almost Jim Lee ish in the lines.
0: I think you're right. And when it does show Batman and Bane together, it does really remind me of those really epic Jim Lee art. Part that really strikes out to me is he can do two things. Not only can he do the awesome superheroes, but he can do the small children and the vulnerability and the close ups in their faces that's range and talent. I do love there's a part where Bane and Batman are fighting and Bane starts listing all of his villains where he's like I'm not a clown I'm not a riddle he lists all these things that he's not where he's basically listing each of Batman's like arch nemesis and then you get this awesome I am Bane thing where he's just beating the hell out of Batman.
1: And then I love how Catwoman has been so... The whole Bane's plotline lately is like she was going to turn on the bat and then all of a sudden how it flips again and turns, she's like, I guess you can call me his friend.
0: Well, I think you see how deep and convoluted Batman's plans go here with Catwoman. When those two work together, the deviousness of their plans is spectacular. That part where she's carving with her fingernail onto those people and you see them hanging with the I am cat on them. Yeah. You've seen that image of the three people hanging in almost every issue of I Am Bane. Correct. That's a nice repetition there. And then they also have, after that, a pretty cool panel where it's Arkham Asylum at night, then there's a lightning strike, and you can see Batman at the gates of Arkham Asylum, then it's dark again, and there's another lightning strike when Bane walks into Arkham to start the brawl. I was just blown away by this one. I think the way that they parallel the two together, like you were saying, Matt, that Bane is kind of Batman gone wrong. I mean, I think all good Batman villains, when you write them well kind of show you that duality that each batman villain is an aspect of batman gone wrong joker right. is like his insanity the penguins like his wealth the riddler is his like detective abilities all warped and here a lot of people think bane is just this big goomba muscle-bound idiot and he is absolutely not that
2: he often gets played as like they did in the uh was it batman and robin movie where he's just some big dude in the background but he's this dark mastermind he's kind of the summation flip side of batman whereas like you're saying you know everybody's a piece he's a lot of pieces he's the batman flipped not just a piece of it but he's like the counter to batman
0: the other thing that i really like about this is this reckoning between batman and bane is entirely of batman's doing because bane was trying to detox from the venom using the psycho pirate to basically be his like rehab coach and batman (laughs) came in Mm -hmm. and stole him from Bane that's why Bane is so pissed off so now he's back on the juice and he's here to totally destroy Batman and this is Batman's own creation like all kind of good stories here he's created his own enemy so I, I enjoyed that
1: why can't they just share come on boys (laughs) Yeah,
0: for real. But there are a couple parts there where they're showing that uh, the duality that I really, really like. I like the part where it shows Bruce Wayne kind of doing his Muay Thai training with the tree where he's chopping down the tree by kicking it. And then you see Bane kicking the wall of his prison to open it up when they both break through their barrier there. I think that's really, really good. I also like the part where Bane is kind of standing on the edge looking out and he's talking about how all the world is food and he's the shark moving through it. I thought that was pretty yep. good too. Lots of really good lines in here.
1: I thought it was really sad that he was talking to his mother even though it was just Alfred there.
0: That, I thought, really oh. showed you the heartbreaking parts of mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne, the little lost boy who still is talking to his mother, you know, that he needs the light on for just one yeah. night, and, you know, he likes the soup that Alfred made because it's her recipe. And then where you have Bane kind of paralleling that, where when his mother died, like, the prisoners told him, no one is forever. Yeah. And then he's like, mother, if no one is forever, why am I still here? I thought that was sad. It
2: seems like they're kind of uh, self-feeding. Some of this seemed to be Kind of inspired a little bit by how they're doing stuff in Gotham. It's really good Batman. I really love the costume too. It's new since before I left the show, but I like how the the bat shield is.
0: Both Tom King and David Finch are both producing amazing work in this issue. You know, some issues that are pretty good, you'll get good writing, but the art's not so great or great art and the writing's only so-so. Here, both are on point and firing on all cylinders.
1: I've said it before, Tom King has made me love Batman again.
0: I mean, he had talked about how he wanted to take his experiences of being an intelligence officer in Iraq during the most recent invasion, and that kind of descent into madness and chaos, and how you pull yourself back from the brink of that while walking through puddles of blood, but still staying human. And I think he's really bringing that into Batman, that that personal experience. It's funny to say, write what you know, and then you end up writing Batman. Like, obviously, he's not Batman, but he's able to draw from that personal experience and go really deep into these characters.
2: Well, I think it's still what he knows he knows darkness
0: yeah
1: yeah so what did you end up
0: giving it i gave this five i am not a rich boy playing dress up
1: okay i gave it five i am cat i will give it five
2: bodies hanging from the ceiling
0: take us over to some hope sort of
1: (laughs) yeah a little different champions number six marvel comics written by mark wade Pencils by Amberto Ramos. Inks by Victor Alobaza. And colors by Edgar Delgado and Dolan Woodard. Woodard? there we go so the book starts off with them showing different places around the world where good deeds are being done in the name of the champions they have like a little logo now that's like a little cute like see all these really good things are being done in their name like go out and vote trash oil cleanup self-defense classes habitat for humanity type of things you know just general good deeds and then it goes to showing kind of how the camp out was where it was team building exercises this time they're doing paintball as a team building exercise
0: yeah miss marvel seems real big on team building <laughs>
1: Yeah. And so they all like split up and they're talking about rules and like she doesn't want to use powers and she gets outvoted where they all want to be able to use their powers.
0: I like that where they're showing just that one panel of them voting and it's just like her one finger sticking up and everyone else holding up two fingers to...
1: Mm-hmm. except for I think Cyclops has no fear. yeah he's not voting I like that Viv makes it clear they set up channels to look to make sure no one's using hashtag champions in a bad way
0: gotta protect the brand
1: so yeah they're protecting the brand and so then there's a cute back and forth of them playing paintball and how their plan is and like the biggest problem There, a lot of them are seeing is Viv being intangible and there's really cute banter I'm not gonna go like panel by panel but it's you know, really cool but what comes out that is that Nova had a plan where they kind of tricked them and maneuvered it so then they could hit her by them thinking they took out the hulk but when they really didn't
0: that part where she's intangible and got the gun and they're like you can't pick up the gun without turning tangible
1: mm-hmm.
0: i that really reminds me a lot of those almost like those dirty harry scenes where like go ahead and pick up the gun you know yeah I just, I got that vibe from it. It was really cool, that little fight yeah. sequence. Like you got to see all of their powers and the interplay between it. I thought it was was well done.
1: I like when Miss Marvel's falling, she's like, I'm going down and you know, she's different sizes and then she doesn't want to be squished. But I did like, so right after that, when the game's over, the actual Vision comes and picks up his daughter because they're still teenagers. And I think that's a nice reminder. Yeah,
0: shoots them all with a paintball gun because they're not paying attention for other people.
1: After we leave the t- team exercise, we see a bunch of a board meeting. If you didn't read the Monsters Unleashed, issue of champions you might not recognize this group but they're the freelancers and they're the anti-champions they're a group of younger teenage-ish people with powers but they work for money and they have very low morals and ethical standards
0: they remind me of the hellfire club kind of yeah
1: though i must say i do like that they have a plus-size lady and she's and they portray her as pretty and you know powerful even though she's a bad guy (laughs) i do like that um but basically it's a corporate board media of some sort and you know they're using this group to, you know, promote their evil way. So they want to do fracking or whatever that they use this group to die off the protesters. Kind of, not really die, but put them under their heel, get them in tow. They call them their champions for their killing the planet ways.
0: (laughs) It's like in Captain Planet, you know, they're like the bad guys on Captain Planet. (laughs)
1: They have like a house in upscale area of Southern California, poolside, living it up. They have their own banter, which is kind of funny. You know, they're giving each other crap. It's driving deep that they're just not nice people.
0: No. What they do to those two homeless guys?
1: So they did something already to this group of homeless people, and then they brought a couple of them back up under the guise of like, like, hey, that was just work, you know, it was just business. Um, let us make it up to you. There's like this nice spread of food, and at first you see, like they have money, and like, are they going to give them that money? But really, I it looks like it's just a like their place in bets. <laughs> And so then they start manipulating these two homeless people by using their power to like turn one against the other because like oh I'm hot you want to fight for me and the other person like she uses whatever she tells you you believe. And so it, they start fighting each other. They kind of like evil person monologue and tell them what they're doing, but it doesn't take obviously because then the people leave and they think they're fine. They go to the police, and you think that they're gonna go rat them out because you know, like I said, they just monologue their whole evil plan. Right. So they're in the police department, then all of a sudden the police are like, "Okay, what's going on and they're Like they said, "Oh, it was the champions that did this to us," which you're, it goes to show that the freelancers actually did something to their mind and made them think that they were the champions, not the freelancers that wronged them, and so they're bad mouth. And framing our heroes.
2: The book was good. The writing is great. Just can't stand Umberto Ramos. Oh, the art? Yeah, it works well for this book, but it's just it's too bulgy is not the right word. It's just the style is too unrealistic for me. It's like an American's take on anime, and it's always bugged me. I think that he used to do maybe he's just inspired by a dude who used to do like Generation Next. No, that was Bacallo. There was a guy who did a lot of mutant books in the nineties. Oh, that's Joe Majura. I've never really like that kind of bulgy-ish weird i don't really have a good grasp of
0: human anatomy
2: it's a good stylized thing and i get what they're going for it gives you this sense of teenagerness. at least that's the in the codex of comics that's what it kind of ends up doing but it's just it's not something I, i really enjoy but the book itself was well written and like i said the art works for the story because that's what i've been trained to think Connects together is when you have a book about teenagers, you have an artist like this. The story wise, though, it was good. The coloring is fantastic. It's kind of a, a little bit of a devious plot line, but uh, it was still fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying about the art being anime-inspired, and I think it works. When he's doing the champions, I think it works pretty well. But that, like, last panel where the guy is in the police station, that, to me, I mean, clearly is very distorted and overly stylized, I think. But I still would say the art works really, like you're saying, works really well for the, the story. I'm used to seeing the champions look like this. The writing is really good. I think do a good job of not just telling you that these freelancers are bad, but showing you that they're bad their callous disregard for other people they're the bane to the batman here they are the dark reflection of the champions the champions are all about making the world better and fixing the damage other people leave behind and these freelancers care nothing about the damage they do and delight in the suffering of others like when they organize that bum fight that's
1: pretty messed up the one holding the fishbowl looks like d from the rat queens
0: very much i actually thought it looks exactly like her I mean, we have Rat Queens this week and a little later, but that does look yeah. exactly like D from Rat Queens.
1: And I do like Panic. I have all of them. I mean, she's my favorite just because she's the chevy one. And her power is pretty evil. It's kind of like the Purple Man from Jessica Jones.
2: Purple Man. Yeah. That's his name.
1: It uh, is his name. Okay. I, I thought that.
2: They gave him a Kilgrave for the, the show, and I think his name might have been Kilgrave in the comic, but his evil villain name is the Purple Man.
1: Yeah, okay, I was right. I thought so. But yeah, her, that's what her power reminds me of. Maybe just not as powerful as his.
0: And I like the idea that the forces of grown-up evil corporate evil here that they're trying to go after the champions not by punching them in the face but destroying their real power which is inspiring others and that they're going after their reputation and their effect on the world because they're magnifying their force like in the beginning you saw all those people cleaning up beaches and taking self-defense classes and voting and all of those things and that's cannot be allowed to continue so i thought that was a nice part of the issue
1: yeah the smear campaign against the social justice warriors pretty much <laughs> champions this might not be my favorite issue of the champions but i think it's building up for a plot so i think that's good i'm just gonna give it for hashtag champions
2: a uh, story kind of beats over on the art for me so i will give it four paintballs
0: i will give it four intangible vivs what's that up in the sky
2: is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Superman number 18. <laughs> it's uh, DC Comics. Uh, this is Superman Rebirth Part 1, written by Peter J. Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. Pencils by Patrick Gleason, Inks by Mick Gray. And colors by John Kaliz. It's kind of the ongoing story that they've had since new 52 Superman died or turned to ash or whatever the heck happened to him and then new Clark Kent showed up but new Clark Kent wasn't Superman but the new 52 Superman's disappearance kind of happened around the same time that the old 52 Superman and the old 52 Lois Lane and a new character kind of showed up. They've had the kind of little family module moving across and they had it in that really not good crossover convergence. They just suddenly popped in and then they ended up over in this universe so that they could replace the New 52 Superman with him which I felt they did at the very wrong point because they built up the New 52 Superman to finally being an interesting character and then they replaced him with somebody who seems to be the Superman that, you know, everybody's been reading for 20 years, but within the addition of of Lois Lane and Superman having a child. Well, this book fucking killed that! Or at least it appears to. The story begins with this kind of secret shadowy world that I unfortunately am a, a little bit kind of have a breach in Superman reading. So I don't know what's been leading up to this, but I have been reading some posts on other social media pages that there's people missing in Mr. Oz has them. Yes, And I think the the biggest guess as to who Mr. Oz is, Ozymandias from The Watchmen.
0: That would make sense to me.
2: Yeah, especially with all the blue fire, all seems to be a kind of a reference over to Dr. Manhattan. So Oz being Ozymandias would make sense to me. But then there's also, there's some kind of mystery shots at the beginning where there's like scrawled all over the thing is Superman will save me Superman please save me Superman where are you so and somebody escaped but we don't know who that person who escaped was and then we end up back at the Kent farm and they're celebrating their anniversary and then shit just goes horribly wrong from there the mystery Clark Kent shows up outside and blue flame starts erupting and then their son starts just disappearing everywhere and as a parent holy fuck
0: yeah that was heart rending
1: fuck this issue
2: (laughs) oh it was really good though especially since they're building up this like the super sons or the batman yeah or the, yeah the robin superboy thing and i'm just like what are you doing what the fuck
0: are you doing well i like how they built it up too like it didn't just happen immediately like they have that family portraits they're looking through and like the photographs are fading away and then the kid has all that blue flame around him that's kind of taking him out of existence
2: it's fucking heartbreaking because it's like dad save me dad save me and he's like i won't let you go and i won't let you go and then he's just gone yeah, and i'm like
0: no. oh you motherfuckers
2: all right, if i was superman i'd be like i'm going to fucking kill everyone
0: yeah, they took a, a shard okay. of kryptonite and stabbed me right in the heart with this one.
1: I'm glad the beginning wasn't just confusing to me. The whole, like, the shrouded figure and then the pictures of Damien and...
0: Oh, that's not Damien. That's Tim Drake.
1: Oh, it's not? Oh, well, he has the evil face. Sorry, I thought it was Damien with the evil face.
0: You remember back in Detective Comics where he got kidnapped? Yeah, I've been in a box for <laughs> however okay. long.
1: fine. A-Robin, I'll be... I assumed that because it was small, it looked small on this panel that it was Damien. Well, he's still a child. He's Red Robin. But yeah, that thing was confusing to me, that whole part at the beginning.
0: They do a good job of both of a real slow build up to it. And then he doesn't just disappear in like one panel. It's like three or four pages of him crying for his dad to save him and his dad trying to hold on to him. And he just slips away.
1: Not okay. Super messed up.
0: The fact that this issue hurts is because it's it's well done.
1: I'm not saying that, but I'm still saying it's not okay. Yes,
0: It's well done, but it's it's a well done mind fuck. And I also like, there's a page, I don't know if you guys read past the, uh, you know, the last couple pages, where they kind of list all of the people that that new Superman could be. That was pretty cool.
2: Yeah, I read that. Yeah, except the Magog thing was a little confusing. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. where? Wh- that's left field. <laughs> Has Magog even showed up in this universe? <laughs>
0: No, I think he did when they were fighting in Action Comics. I think he was in that when they had the Godkiller stuff going on.
1: But before all the tragedy happened, I did love that they showed John sucking the frosting off the back of the candles. Kids totally do that. For sure. <laughs> One of those little things that you don't think people would show.
0: I really like the way that Peter J. Tomasi writes the, this Superman. Uh, I didn't think I would enjoy you know, Super Dad, but I really like it. I think it just has an honesty and a good-heartedness to it that without being cheesy or boring, like he really knows these characters and how to get to the heart of
2: Yep. Superman is, he's super earnest among, you know, everything else. So I think it works for him being kind of a father figure. I mean, Batman is, because of the whole always kidnapping children and forcing them into a life of darkness, he's always been the screwed up dad and Superman's kind of like the good dad.
0: Batman's like the uncle who has the van and is in a, you know, metal band that shows up drunk on, like, Thanksgiving. And you think is super cool when you're a kid, then you realize how fucked up he is, really. Where, you know, Superman is standing there in a sweater vest and looking very disapprovingly.
2: (laughs) That is totes accurate. I will give it... I'm not a huge super fan of this, no pun intended, of Patrick Gleason's art. This is part of what, what I always rave on about, about people getting assigned to Superman because they're like, oh, I can put anybody on here as long as he can make it look roughly like Superman. I personally like a more realistic looking Superman art, and this is kind of weird, and like, I'd prefer to have Umberto Ramos do this other than this guy. The art is just really stylized.
0: Lots
1: of big eyes.
2: Big eyes, and but not in a good anime way. Uh, the lines are really thick, which is the anchor.
1: I think John's big eyes, they make him for his like innocence and his endearing. I don't think anyone else's eyes are as big as his.
0: His are definitely the biggest, yeah.
2: Well, that and children appear to have bigger eyes because eyes don't really grow as you get bigger. That's why babies seem to have huge eyes.
0: I like Disney characters are drawn that way too, to duplicate the effect of the ugis and infants.
2: It was still good. It, you know, carried it over. It's just not my cup of tea. But I still gave it four disappearing family albums.
0: I love this. I loved everything about it. I like the art. I see what you're saying, it being a little anime style. But this totally works for me. It's almost like an anime Norman Rockwell painting, is really what the art reminds me of. I will give it five Don't Let Me Go, Dad. Oh, that's fucked up.
1: This is a hard read i mean it's good because it's a hard read it's handled really well but on top of that i'm like as a parent f this (laughs) books are like not okay it's just it's just not okay it's like anxiety filling dread like you can put yourself into it and like project you know into the story feeling i like the artwork i definitely like i've said before in other issues well for super sons again the normal rockwell thing is is a thing that being said, I gave it for Hey, mister, did you leave this here? <laughs> over,
0: over to Image. It's still pretty fucked up, but...
1: So, it has returned! Rat Queens, number one. Image Comics, written by Curtis J. Weeb and art by Owen Genie. Is that is that, that word? <laughs>
0: Ginny Jenny, I'm not sure how you say
1: that. So this was a little confusing for me, knowing where we were in time. I don't know if I'm the only one.
0: No, I was confused as fuck as well. I think they had written themselves into a corner and then they're just like,
1: fuck it, we're on to the next chapter. References her dagging out of the prison and so it's a little confusing. It's
0: confusing whether it's a continuation or a reboot or yeah. what but I'm happy enough just to have it back. I'm not really going to obsess on <laughs> the continuity. Fuck it. It's back. That was my feeling too. I'm like,
1: eh, okay. It's mine too. It, and it's a number one. So it is like a starting over. So, but if you had questions of what happened to Hannah and all that before, you're not going to get answers us. here, people. <laughs> <laughs> so they're heading on to a quest and they're talking. And I really like Hannah's like, I want to be in a sex cult because, uh, Betty's talking about <laughs> how she has a new brother or sister every year. Cause you know, her mom's like very religious.
0: Very religious. Very devout. Very <laughs> devout.
1: That's the word I was looking for. They're just making their way and, they're, and they catch up with Fraga. Fraga. She's been waiting for them. She has a bead on Quest and she asked them to join her and gives some lovely food. And Dee's like trying to grab on it. And she's like, no. I love it. She's singing along. They're doing all their good stuff. I love that Dee has this ranger book and she's taking tips <laughs> from it as they go throughout the whole issue. And she's like, when hiking the ranger way, leave your heels at home. It has a little picture with like high heel shoes with a little red circle. A line through it. She's like the book is changing my life.
0: Yes, she found her Boy Scout manual.
1: <laughs> and eventually, Violet catches up. She was like hiking. She's like, clearly out of shape. She's like, I haven't done this in a while. She was like falling behind. She's like, it's good to back to doing what we do best. And she looks at them and like Betty's getting stoned. Uh, Dee's just like reading a book, and <laughs> Hannah's like zapping random bats in the sky. <laughs> I love that panel. I guess people have been going missing, like, like swaps of people, swallowed whole, no tracks, like, but miles and mile intervals. And then Betty's like, oh, it's probably something that's been flying.
0: I do like how Betty seems like she's kind of like a happy idiot, but when it's actually time for her to investigate things, that she's really good at that.
1: And at this point, they decide to invite or officially invite Braga to join the queens.
0: She's so happy. She's like so
1: happy. She hugs them. But apparently she smells. But I love how, but she's our smelly dead death dog. said that poor guy might be an asshole but he's our asshole seriously they approach this tower of ruins and again this comes into play with Dee's little ranger book you should never go into a man-made structure for shelters and they're like uh and Hannah's like I regret buying you that book they're like that's where <laughs> all the stuff is and so they like barge in because they hear something and I love it so Viv kicks in the door and there's like this wackadoo mushroom head thing phallic <laughs> like with googly eyes it's just weird at first I thought oh it's gonna be like a decoy like it's a trap and then they walk into like this fight. And I, I love the line from Betty. It's like a zoom on her face. She's like there are so many things happening. Because there's like a bear. And there are like these other people. And like that mushroom thing. And it's just like all sorts of crazy. And this is where the hilarity comes. I thought this was great. Violet's brother's there. And he's saying how kind of, like oh I guess you're right. This was the thing to do. And so I decided to stick around. Because she's like I told you to leave. And he goes and talks about how he's collected his own team for adventuring. And they're all like weird male versions of the Rat Queens. So there's like the like rockabilly wizard dude who's like a part-time retired wizard. There's Violet's brother. There's the Neil, the fun guy. He's a fungus druid and he's just gross. Oh my God. His clothes and his outfit, it's meant to look like D in color, but it's all fungus. It's just, oh, it really creeps me out looking at those drawings. And then they have Buddy. And then Buddy <laughs> and Buddy. he's that weird mushroom thing which they said had no eyes so they magic some googly eyes onto him.
0: Yeah, I really like that part where she like kneels down and is looking at him
1: and i like how <laughs> betty's like is this supposed to be me
0: and then when she's talking to him she's like you're so funny buddy and buddy of course isn't yeah. saying anything. they have
1: the same like little clasp of cloak like she does and they call themselves the cat kings and they have like a little cat logo like how they have the rat queens logo and so they are venturing for the palisades also and it's just it kind of hurts it's it's so bad you're just like, oh man, and they weren't really good. like Violet had to come in and save them from the bear anyways and they're like, it's okay, we finished, we've gotten the glory and Violet's like, you've done crap. the glory's up there and they pushy points and it's like a Canadian goose dragon thing.
0: Yeah, that's what I bought. (laughs) I was like, what is that? Hey, I don't know if you've ever encountered a goose, but they are mean little bastards. So I totally buy the goose dragon. I've
1: known like a white goose have been mean, but usually Canadian geese are pretty chill. So I don't know.
0: Like all Canadians, (laughs) they're much nicer than the American version. Yeah, you should see the American version of this thing. Oh, damn. (laughs)
1: Uh, so they they go to town they d &D it up they start fighting it and it doesn't really go well (laughs) i don't like him since christina's not here i will point out uh hannah's fuck lord to that because it it wallows Betty it just snaps and so I love the following panels where it shows each of the different characters attacking this thing and then how it reacts so like weird like dart feathers come out the first time when Braga attacks when Violet and her brother attack it's like some weird poo attack you see like the radiated like poo come out of its ass (laughs) and then like Dee attacks it and it like quacks and cracks her shield and then Hannah blasts it and in like I don't know it's like weird tit gas is that what that is it looks like nipple gas right Probably. Pretty much. Yeah. So like some nipple gaskets are. So it's like, oh, as Hannah put it, fucked up doom. Doom fucked. And then as they're fighting it, they still haven't gotten Betty out. And then it goes into her floating in its guts with like different types of body parts and bones. And then this weird, creepy, I don't know what that is. But he says his name is Milton the Gut Merchant. And he's like, are you interested in the secrets of the universe? And I love how the, it says, next issue, never trust a gut merchant. So that's going to be interesting. It's kind of like when you're playing d and you've done something wrong and the ST takes you into the other room to talk to you. That's what's happening with Betty.
0: I feel like this book is every D&D game starts out super serious and everyone firmly in character and then it ends up being the Rat Queens.
1: I love Um, the Rat Queens. Oh, I do
0: too. It's it's really like every actual D&D game that you've ever played in your life. It was awesome and hilarious.
1: Because it's the Rat Queens alone is why you can just go, okay, well, I guess we don't know what happens with where it left off before. Because, I mean, I was really interested in what was going on with that Ice Dragon and with Hannah, but you know what cool, but still this because it's so great and it is them, their banter and their story that it's just to be back with them in general. So
2: I was describing the Rat Queens to my wife and it's like how every D&D game goes in real life was pretty much exactly yeah. how I described it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But I love it so much.
0: Comparing this to like a and d tabletop game, if you were having a campaign that ran for a long time, then it stopped for a while, and then suddenly it's back up again, probably not gonna, you know, be too much of a continuity person. Yep. <laughs> you probably just are happy to start the new module and let's just play. So I'm happy to start the new run and just
1: read it. Agreed. I'm gonna give it four and three quarters, not a five, because I do kind of wanted that continuity a little bit, but I still love it. So four and three quarters, kick gas because... That- that was
0: just like, what? <laughs> I will give it four Gut Merchants.
2: I'm going to give it four and a half because I agree the continuity was kind of annoying, but again, I don't give a shit because the queens are back. I will give it four. You're a Rat Queen too.
0: Aw, Braga. I'm swinging us over to Marvel for The Cloned Conspiracy Omega Number 1 from Marvel Comics. There's actually a couple stories in here. There's Collateral Damage, which is written by Dan Slott and Christos Gage. Pencil Sneaks by Corey T. Smith. Colors by Justin Ponser. Then there's Give Us a Wink, written by Peter David. Pencils by Mark Bagley. Inks by John Dell. Colors by Jason Keith. And then finally the last one, King's Favor, is written by Dan Slott. Pencils by Stuart Eminem. Inks by Wade Von Grabadger. Colors by Richard Issa So this is kind of following the fallout of the clone conspiracy. And the first story, I think, is actually probably the best one the collateral damage story, where really there's three things to me that stuck out in this story. You've got the rhino on a Rampage. You've got Gwen Stacy dealing with Gwen Stacy, basically, and then you have the lizard. And I think each part of that is really kind of heartbreaking and a really good insight into those characters. Like, so you start out with the Rhino on his rampage. That his that Oxana came back and now she's dead again, and he has nothing to live for. And I like that when Peter is trying to contain him, that he's not trying to really hurt the Rhino. That really he's you know slowing him down and stopping him while he's talking to him, almost acting like almost like an Uncle Ben here where he's giving him the speech about they live on in your heart and you have to honor them and and all that and I thought that was really good and I like the rhino was like well how am I going to go on he's like just like you always do you put your head down and you you plow forward just like a rhino I, I liked that part that was actually really kind of sweet and insightful into both characters and actually had a lot of you know emotional impact to it and then I also liked the part with Gwen Stacy well with Spider Gwen where she's hurt that when Peter Parker was dealing with the clone of Gwen Stacy that she was treating that person like they were the real Gwen Stacy and she was fake and I thought that was would actually be probably pretty hurtful <laughs> that you know this fake version was more real to the person than you were I liked that I did not really care about the interplay between Peter and Kane I didn't really care about that that much because they're mad at each other and he's like well I saved the universe so I really don't care about your feelings so yeah that but then I also really liked where Dr. Connors the lizard has some of the cure but not enough to actually cure them so his solution to keep them alive is to give them like the lizard serum and you see them his family turned into the lizard like he is I thought that was very interesting. So that was actually the story that I liked the most. And then Give Us a Wink is kind of just kind of a setup for the new Scarlet Spider series that's going to be coming out, I felt. So it's basically Ben Riley shows up in a bar and needs to get money from someone and arranges a bunch of goons to attack her and then he saves her when he's kind of like this slimy, devious badass. I understand they're trying to set up the series, I guess, but it doesn't make me interested in the series. It makes me really dislike him. I don't know if that was successful or not. And then the last one is King's Favor, which is Spider-Man dealing with the kingpin where he goes in to confront the kingpin and the kingpin tells him the kingpin is in his debt so he's going to give him something that's going to clear the debt and spider-man's like that's not how it works i tell you when we're done he's like well i can tell you where norman osborne is And he's like deal done so that was the last story for it i mean overall it's three very short stories put into one issue i thought collateral damage was pretty good i kind of wish that had stood on its own and maybe they'd expanded out a couple more pages onto each one of those three little arcs that i talked about because i didn't really care that much about the other the other ones just seemed like set up. And the other, like Give Us a Wink and King's Favor are just setups for what's going to happen next. But collateral damage felt more like a character examination of the fallout of what happened. So
2: I didn't actually, until you pointed it out, I didn't realize that there were three stories. It just seemed like one continuous story that just kind of like flowed evenly. But uh, looking back, I'm like, no, there's, there's actual story breaks right there. Uh, I-, I liked it a lot. Uh, I'm not the world's biggest Spider-Man fan in the world.
0: I don't like this new Spider-Man. I don't like the Iron Man Spider-Man bullshit.
2: Oh, I don't really mind that because I've always thought it was stupid that he was poor. I get that it's supposed to make him the everyman, but I'm just like, he's literally on the top 20 list of brilliant people in the world. He should have been not super Tony Rich, but not poor. That just doesn't make any sense. So I kind of like that he's doing okay for himself, but it looks like they're trying to play set him back because the whole, I'm going to sue you for this. Uh, And, you know, people very well could destroy his entire company based upon this kind of stuff. So I think this might've been done to do that.
1: We had that same thought last issue. The thing that's
0: made him really powerful and influential is his web technology. And he just destroyed it. Grown I roll. Yeah, and he had to destroy it to combat the zombie plague.
2: You know, if he goes back to being semi-poor or whatever, then that's fine. But I don't think that they should ever put him back to the whole how's he gonna make do? How's he gonna get dinner? It's just, it's dumb. It, it's a downplay on how smart he is. And it makes you just think, well, maybe he's not actually that smart. When, you know, he created the, the webbing and all the other stuff he's super brilliant but they just they don't write it up it's kind of like with Banner they don't really like using the fact that Bruce Banner is in the top five and nobody remembers that Ant-Man even exists most of the time Um, but (laughs) it's a good Spider-Man story perfect art for Spider-Man I specifically out of the three stories I think that the Bagley stuff looks best for Spider-Man though I do kind of find it funny that they've got Ben wearing a Deadpool shirt and his face looks all Wade Wilson yes that had to be on purpose and I do like where it's leading with Spidey having confrontation with his forever friend Green Goblin. I think that'll be an interesting place for Spider-Man to go. I
1: really like seeing the fallout of what happened and how like, people were dealing with losing like the clones and everything like that. So that to me was the most interesting part. I find the lizard yeah, part too. really sad. Because this is kind of messed up. Like he's just holding on as much as he can and saving them. But it is just a messed up situation.
2: Yeah, it's very tragic. They're alive but is that a good thing? Because his wife looked kind of a little off.
1: Yeah. The milk's not going in the glass right there. That's the big clue that something's just not right. And then all she do is hiss. And he's like, oh yeah, I love you too. So it's not great.
0: With all three stories kind of balanced against each other, I would give this three and a half move forwards.
1: I gave it three nothing will interfere with our happy, perfect lives.
2: I will give it three Ben Riley clones.
1: Over to something new and sassy. America. She be sassy. America number one. Marvel Comics. Pa fuera pala. Que I'm not very good at Spanish. So <laughs> get outside. i a-, a little rusty like
0: Fuera is outside and Calle is like the street I think it's like go outside go out on the streets kind of
1: hit the streets yeah written by Gabby Rivera pencils by Joe Quinones, inks by Joe Quinones and Pablo Rivera and Jose oh man Villa Rubia I'm gonna say
0: it's a very Latino Latina comic
1: yeah go them that's great and it fits It makes for a good comic so I like where it starts with them all asking who is America to you so you get you know Kate Bishop mega babe one of my best you know because they're besties they're good friends you get Miles Morales and Loki and all, Storm and a bunch of other people like saying nice things and then it goes to them being in the parallel universe and her uh some saving people all of is it the Ultimates
0: well she's the leader of the Ultimates yeah so. but,
1: but I'm saying they're Spectrum Captain Marvel and they're fighting they're saving people I like how she saves the one little girl and then at the end after they're fighting she's like how can I reach you can we be friends like and she's like oh you can follow add me on B Team chat, I'm Viva America. I'll follow you back, promise. I don't know. I found that little interaction really cute. It was just
2: like on another planet yeah. in another dimension, yeah. I think.
1: I skipped over a little part because that took place in two parts. She's finding like this weird energy four eyed pink and white thing. And they can't really get like a trace on like its energy signature or whatever. But America comes and just punches it and it turns into like thousands of star shards. And it kind of falls back to the planet. And All of a sudden the planet's stable and not falling apart. And they all kind of go, Well, huh, that was weird. Well, well, uh, Well, well, we saved the day. Everything's good now. And then she has like some serious side eye. And she's like, well, that felt a little too easy. But they leave anyways. And the story continues because she was late for her date with her girlfriend. And someone called her and said, oh, after two hours, like so she went home and she eventually shows up there and her and her girlfriend having their cuddle love time. And then when America tries to like sneak out in the middle of the night and get dressed is when they start to have like an argument. She wants to go to school and move on and do something with her life because she feels kind of stagnant, not really moving forward. And her girlfriend's like, well, that's your dream. That's your story it's your journey but it's not our journey you know i love you but i need to be able to let you go to that america doesn't take it well so they basically break up and i do like so as america's making her way to like superhero university she's like somewhere on that route they say route six but you know it has that kind of route 66 like vibe to it where she's like her vans broke down and hawkeye's like come over and like watching her and like giving her crap like i like you know their friend banter back and forth and then like they go their separate ways once her van's working again and does she open... Open a star portal to drive to make her drive shorter? Or is that just like showing her version of riding into the sunset? I think
0: that's how she gets to Sotomayor University.
1: That was a little weird.
0: I-, I love the page where they show the university and they have the map where they're showing you yes. everything. And they have like their fierce dance squad.
1: <laughs> so yeah, there's a little map with like a little legend at the bottom. And it's pretty funny. She's looking at it. She's like, so I'm here. And she like is trying to find her way. She says she's late for class. And then yes, as Ryan mentioned, there's this fierce dance squad. They're the multi Multipass Phi Theta Beta Squad. And they're all about Orange Sherbert and the Fifth Element and Soldier Babes or something. Like they're like asking her if she wants to pledge to their sorority. I'm like, all right. I'm like, well, I don't know what's going on with that. So she heads off to class and she comes in and she's late. And it's, I want to say it's like the danger room. It's like a hologram simulated kind of room. And they're apparently their powers won't work in the classroom. Whatever happens will affect them. Like if they fall into the frozen water, they're going to actually freeze. It's not just Ubered up holodeck kind of thing. Uh, what the assignment is, what the teacher's trying to convey is there has been, there's sacrifice that were done by heroes over the years in certain significant battles battles they want the whole class to like focus on one and find the key moment that made that battle turn you know kind of thing so that was like their assignment america runs into uh, the prodigy in her class and then they start catching up but he still no longer has powers but he can still like be techie, techie, techie. and he takes her back to his lab and he's saying how he was working on this kind of time travel way back machine but it hasn't really worked but he thinks combined with her powers it will and of course she just kind of jumps in head first like you do of course and she starts thinking really hard i think this part was actually kind of sweet thinking really hard about her mom because she asked who who she really wants to go back and see and so you get like these panels of like all her like memories and her thoughts but no she winds up in world war ii germany (laughs) her and cap yeah and like runs into Cap's like oh you look really familiar and he's like soldier get out of the way like, I like how she's like trying to look at her phone and she's like seriously I bought interdimensional coverage for this and she's kind of like backhand dismissively the baton grenades she's kind of goes pop <laughs> and there's little soldiers cheering in the background they're like yay the big reveal is like I'm Captain America she's like wait did you say Hitler not on my watch sucker and it's that iconic picture of Cap punching Hitler but this time it's America and I know you posted this panel and I still believe it it looks like weird Mary soccer mom punching Hitler it just she <laughs> looks like she's wearing a little tracksuit and like sweatpants and it's just like what I actually kind of don't like that
0: I kind of dig that she punches Hitler so hard that she opens up an interdimensional
1: portal. I just like it being taken from Cap in a way, I feel like. But I understand the point. The point is basically she fucked the timeline up! Because <laughs> it says, man, one punch and the whole world shifted into something new. Now it wasn't Cap who did it. So it's going to have ramifications. And I understand that's the plot.
2: My thought on that was that perhaps she did travel back to her world, but she traveled back to where her world diverged from our world. And that's what happened there, is her traveling back to their punching hitler it was what created her utopia and then her whole world shifted into something new that's what created that timeline Be. Or now she's punched him and she's traveling and it's gonna be another like cross time caper kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I think you're gonna see the ripple effects because one thing I was thinking about for this is America, like the character, like first of all, she's Skelatina, she's she's gay, like there's lots of things about her that are not your white, blonde haired, blue eyed, hawkeye Captain America superhero, right? Mm-hmm. So if she's the hero, will now the world start going in like different directions, like valuing those things more? Like when she comes back to the world, what is she? going to find. So I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. I didn't love it, but I was glad that it was way different than anything else we're reading or have read. I like that kind of breath of fresh air, even if I didn't think that breath of fresh air was particularly great.
1: Cap is drawn also super weird and basic. Not a fan of that.
0: He looks like he belongs from like a 1960s like Spider-Man cartoon.
1: Yeah, he's like weird dime store Cap. <laughs> he's like cheap version. Yep. New is different. I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. Very refreshing. I, I'm kind of curious to see where it goes from there.
0: the art has a different sensibility to it than a lot of comic art does.
2: It's like the art that they've attached to this particular character. Kind of how, like, Miss Marvel has a particular style that they usually do her in in her book. This seems to be kind of the America Chavez art style. It's very stylized and not standard comic book art, but it is. It's realistic, but it's a lot of the, like, lines and whatnot, they'll go over and instead of having, like, a black ink for the lines, they'll do something that's a shade off of the color that's behind it. Notice that, and that's kind of what the caps Thing. I mean, that's a very classic cap costume, but the way that they colored it and the way that they inked it, it makes it kind of look a little hokey. The, it fits the book in America very well. It's a little off from everything else you might be used to in a standard, like, superhero book.
0: I think it's a commentary. Like, they chose to draw him in that style as, like, this look at how hokey and cheesy this ideal Captain America thing is. It's
1: kind of bullshit. Yeah, or a nod to that really old comic where that appeared.
2: He's also a 40s character. Like, she's a modern character, he's a 40s character. So he's going to look a little bit more the classic and golden agey. Yeah. The art back then people didn't really go for a lot of detail and whatnot. And they just did kind of a very stylized art. Well, depending on who, was doing the art but so it kind of ended up looking like that and i think that they're they were trying to throw over to that style
1: america is cool and obviously her name's america but i really think miss marvel is that sort of moral compass in the marvel universe now you know they're probably not doing that they're really probably not trying to pass baton it's really probably just something about time continuation you know continuity yeah. that they're playing with there's something about it that nags
0: you'd rather see kamala
1: yeah punch it out hitler there's <laughs> always a new
0: hitler there's always somebody to punch
1: oh yeah i don't know if they're gonna go that if they're gonna Daring enough to go that way. They might. You never know. I'm going to give it three and a half. None on my watch, (laughs) sucker. Three and a half. Did you say Hitler?
2: I will give it three and quarter, just to be different. <laughs> Star punches to the universe.
0: Nice. nice. So I don't know which one of you wants to do Doctor
1: Strange. I think Matt,
2: take it. The last book that we have is Doctor Strange number 18 by Marvel Comics. Uh, the World's Finest Super Surgeons, written by Jason Aaron, pencils by Chris Bacalo, inks by Al Vey, Tim Townsend. Jeez, how many inks did you get? It takes a
0: village to Chris Bacalo's work. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs>
2: yeah. John Livesey, Victor Lozaba in colors by Chris Bacallo
1: there's lots of black so there's lots of ink going on yeah that's
2: true well I ran out of ink so we had to have this other guy pick it up
1: <laughs> it
0: was digital I still ran out it was
2: <laughs> seriously you just click on the box and it fills it in so I really love the current Doctor Strange series Me it's too. really good without getting hokey and Doctor Strange is really easy to kind of get a little hokey with it's really getting deep into the world of being the Sorcerer Supreme and what it kind of means and the cost of being the Sorcerer Supreme. And it's been so far about him kind of making up for all the dark stuff he had to do to do the light throughout his time. This particular book, he's got a little bit of help from a higher plane of existence, I guess. So he's got Lady Thor in there helping him do the surgery. Not because she can hit things really hard, but because she is also a doctor. I love that he's like, look, I see through magic and the second I saw you, I knew who you were. So shut up and help me do surgery <laughs> yeah because see these hands can't do anything with them but i can tell you what to do because he's basically got a hospital that's full of people he's operated on when he was able to operate on people but all the work that he did has basically been filled in with i think it's his guilt if i remember right or his sorrow
0: mr misery it's all the pain and suffering that he should have you know all the price he should have had to pay for using his magic was locked in the basement and turned into this thing
2: it's basically out and he's trying to clean stuff up he's trying to basically clean up his mess and make things better
1: yeah it doesn't want to kill him outright it wants to see him suffer
2: and he's like, fine, whatever, I'll swallow you and I'll finally deal with my own misery. But he's trying to do the surgery and then as he's doing it, his misery is like, oh no, screw that, I'm going to fight you now. And it actually literally starts fighting Doctor Strange while Doctor Foster is doing her surgery to actually, you know, remove the misery physically from these people. And then a really cool thing that they never really touch on is Thor's ability to move lightning fast, literally, by being, you know, uh, a storm a god and having the powers of the lightning and all that. You start just going flash fast basically i like
0: that she's moving so fast that the scalpels are melting the
2: scalpels yes yes yeah it's really cool a lot of attention to detail he
1: tells him to cover his ears because she's gonna
2: because yeah, you thunderclap it's just really cool i love chris bicalo's art on these books i was like at first i was like bicalo and then i start reading him i'm like this fucking works so good
1: yeah me too it pairs so beautifully i love his artwork for it's Dr. so
2: <laughs> so good i mean it harkens back to the original doctor strange art from the the sick but it's still kind of fresh in uh, a modern style, and he draws weird monsters just so damn well. And everything has like a, a round, cartoony feel to it, but it's not in a bad way. Like I've complained about earlier in the podcast, <laughs> it works perfectly here. I mean, this is is where it, that kind of fits in, and it just it's so goddamn good. Uh, and the story is just it's really deep into character, and it's about character building, not just about oh look at this magical monster I'm fighting this week. Uh, so it's continuing on Doctor Strange's journey uh, instead of just being another Monster of the Week kind of thing. I really enjoy the new Doctor Strange that we have after, you know, magic got eaten and he's been trying to fight his way back forward from it.
0: I love that this Doctor Strange is so disturbing and gross and, like, when he has to eat that cancer. Like, it made me think of the heart-shaped box from Nirvana. Like, I wish I could eat your cancer when it turns black, pulling the, like, the black cancer out of their head and eating it. It's disgusting.
1: So for him though he eats some pretty disgusting stuff anyways. That is
0: true. It continues that fine tradition of eating disgusting things. I like what they did with Thor. I mean I like that Jason Aaron writes both Thor and Doctor Strange so this is like a crossover with his characters so they get to kind of play together and they work really well. I also like you were saying that it's very character focused. Like the reason he wants Thor is not because of her superpowers. It's because she is a doctor. I just thought it worked really really well. It's very disturbing. The art is disturbing. The writing goes to kind of deep, dark places, and Agreed. It's just Doctor Strange is pretty masterful.
1: Yeah, it really kind of like hits in the feel, makes you think, but it still has, like, the action and you still see that they do have their superpowers. But, yeah, the tumors and her pulling them out is just messed up. It's just it's gross. And I, you know, when Misery shows up in Wong, he's like, oh, are you going to eat me too? And just to him trying to shove that choice and that forcing into him with dealing, the fact that Wong is not Wong at the moment, it's just uh, so hard. And then doing that twist where it's she is still Thor and to get the job done she lies thor's abilities but still to her doctor self not the other way around so i thought that was really neat there and plus there's just the cute little one line quips in here that are funny that they've been doing with this whole run that just are well placed and the timing is great still has some humor thrown in that doesn't seem like contrived and just the end with um Thelma in him and what he tells her he she might have to do. It's like no I'm looking forward to see what the next issue. Solid as always. So
0: I yep. will give
2: it four weird misery cancer tumors
1: i'll give
0: it four and a half melted scalpels
1: i gave it four and three quarters magical note to self work on a battle cry
0: <laughs> so those are the books we read this week to check out our other podcasts broke gaming and cut the cord as well as other nerd shenanigans go check out four nerds.com or our facebook page you can follow us on twitter or instagram you can find the podcast on itunes and google play music
1: on stitcher
0: on soundcloud
2: and on podcast addict
0: be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds!